So, so what comes to your mind when I say the word vision? Maybe something comes to mind like your view. Uh, having a proper vision of God is absolutely essential. But when I hear the word vision, what do I think about? Kind of, if we understand the word vision, it's an interesting word. We, when we think about vision, we think about seeing or sight. Um, I think we may think of blurred vision. Uh, many of you maybe have had that in the past. Maybe you have that now where your vision is blurred and you really can't see things the way you want to see them. When we think about the word vision, we think of the word focus. Uh, Perhaps there is a need for us to uh, set aside so many of these things that we're looking at. You know, something that will help us is if we remember uh, that we are to uh, take care of the most important Sometimes we live in an urgent society where we think we need to take care of things right away, right now, and so on. And it takes us away from the thing that is most needed. But being an interesting word, we think of the word uh, vision as far as seeing. And also when we hear someone say that we had a vision, we think of a dream. Or when I have someone come to me and say they had a vision, I sometimes wonder uh, what's going on in their life. Um, the Hebrew word here in our text when it comes to seeing or if you were to find the word vision here in the Old Testament, many times it's put, put to the word uh, kazon. Uh, kazon is the actual the, the word for, in Hebrew for, for, um, for vision. And it really is a, a sight. Uh, the definition is a sight mentally uh, or a dream or a revelation or the word oracle. If we were to look up the word vision in English, what would the English dictionary say to us? In 1828, it actually says that it is an act of seeing external objects, actual sight. Faith here is turned into vision there. And so what is interesting to me is that we can actually see things, and even to those that are blind, can still have sight. He goes on to say, Webster, Noel Webster goes on to say that the faculty of seeing, it is, it is sight, vision is far more perfect and acute in some animals than it is in man. I know that there are an incredible, um, uh, the the incredible ability for animals to see. I think the, the animal that I think and I hunt that sees the best is the turkey. Um, I, they can see you if you sniff. Uh, if you have snot coming down from your nose and you breathe it back in again, the turkeys can see that. Uh, that's pretty good eyesight. Um, the hardest animal for me to hunt is the turkey. But uh, he goes on to say, something imagined to be seen, though not real, uh, maybe even a phantom or a specter. Um, he goes on to say, in Scripture, a revelation from God is the word vision. An appearance or exhibition of something supernaturally presented to the minds of the prophets by which they are informed of future events. This is what we would use for the word vision. Such were visions of Isaiah and Amos, of course, and Ezekiel. In the New Testament, we see that Zechariah had a vision. We see that Paul had a vision. 
And so there were visions in the New Testament. Paul saw a man that was in need, and it was the Macedonian cry that triggered him in all of that. And his passion was fueled to get the gospel to Macedonia, which he walked, by the way, all the way from the seaside up into what we call former Yugoslavia today. And all of those miles were treaded because of Paul's vision Something imaginary, he goes on to say, or a production of fancy. Anything which is the object of sight. And so anyone who is serious about life must consider their vision. When I speak of vision, I am not referring to the eyeball because there are people who are blind that can see. And when I speak of vision, I speak of your insight or your view of something. What is your vision of God? What is your understanding of God? And, and let me just say this before I get started, is that when I, when I study for a, a message, I am the first one that God speaks to. And I, and I want to tell you that as studying this particular passage in Isaiah 40, there really is no other passage that I like to read when I need comfort. And the Bible actually makes it really clear that there are those that can seek the Lord and seek His will. And then, then there's those those right now that you got your computer and you're looking at your cell phone and you're looking at things other than really wanting a clear view of the God of heaven. So maybe there's things that are taking you away from looking at Him. Maybe you're so discouraged about the world and all what's going on. Maybe your dilemma and the difficulties that you are, are having in your life have taken your eyes off of the Lord and now you're trying to look at how rough the sea is like, like Peter rather than keeping your eyes focused on the Lord. It's important that we draw this understanding that we've come together for the next 25 minutes or so to open up the Word of God and to see what God has for us. We're looking beyond the page, beyond the black and white words. We're looking toward the God of heaven. Who is he? What does he look like? How can I trust him? Do you have the proper vision of who God is? I many times ask myself, am I backsliding with my walk with God? Am I turning away from him? Or do I have a proper view of who he is? If you ask him to come, he will come. If you seek him, you will find him. If you draw near to him, you will see him. Jonathan Edwards, of course, as he rode into the woods, uh, he wrote this years ago, once I, I rode into the woods for my health in 1737. Having alighted from my horse in, re, in, in a retired place as my manner commonly had been, to walk for divine contemplation and prayer, I had a view that was for me was extraordinary of the glory of the Son of God as mediator between God and man and his wonderful, great, full, pure, sweet grace and love and meek and gentle uh, condensation was happening. This grace that appeared so calm and sweet appeared also as also great above the heavens. The person of Christ appeared ineffably, uh, ineffably excellent with an excellence, see, great enough to swallow up all my thoughts and my contemplation, which continued as never I, I can judge for maybe an hour which kept me the greater part of the time in a flood of tears and a weeping aloud. Can I be honest with you? If you really want to know who God is, he can be seen. You're as close to God as you want to be right now. Your view of God is as big as you want it to be. 
You've come to the place now where you say, where is God? He's right where he's always been. He's high and lifted up. There are those in the scripture that give us a view of who God is. If we were to turn to the book of Isaiah, we would see such a sight that is almost undescribable. There is such a sound that would actually cause us to shake. Because this God of the scriptures is pretty big. And we look at the Old Testament, we can actually draw closer to him and be able to find out who he is. Maybe perhaps you've been married for several years and don't really know your wife. Do you know what her favorite candy bar is? Well, I never thought about that. Do you know what her favorite restaurant is? Well, I know what my favorite is. Maybe you've drawn close to your wife, but never like she needed you to draw close. And maybe the God of heaven is desiring for you and 2020 to say, I'm going to set aside my ambitions and my desires. Oh, listen, dear friend, we waste so much time when we don't seek the Lord. We get frustrated. We go over things and we perhaps in our minds and our eyes get discouraged and then our inner man becomes in such turmoil that we can't even think properly. When we go to God, And we say, God, I'm confused. Lord, I don't know what to do. Can you give me strength and can you draw near to me? He will. And he will reveal himself to you. When's the last time you fasted? When's the last time you really got the word of God and looked at it and read it and absorbed it? Now, I'm not talking about doing Christian things. I'm not talking about running around acting like you're busy. Because some people run around like, I'm, I'm the busy man. I think the person who's on his knees the most is the most successful. And I don't think we should be cumbered about, like Mary and Martha's story, and remember that Mary did the most profitable thing. And that was to stay at the feet of Jesus. And I hope that 2020 you would understand that this is needful for you. And I don't know of any other portion of Scripture, like I said earlier, that would help us in the area of comforting us. Do you need comfort today? Look at the first verse, if you would, of Isaiah 40. It says, comfort you, my, comfort you, my people, saith your God. And so he's basically saying, from here on out, what I'm going to say will bring comfort to you. Then he goes on a dissertation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and that there would be somebody going to come and he was going to deliver the people from their sin, and that is Jesus Christ. And all the verses all the way down to verse number 12 talk about how wonderful and how peaceful it is to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing can surpass the simplicity of the proper biblical vision of God. And nothing will appease or satisfy the intellect or the yearnings of your heart like a proper vision of God. The idols of this world and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, the lust of flesh, are continually demanding from us. But as we pursue these things in this world we will never experience the incredible delight of our God. And as long as we are pursuing the things of this world, a better position at work, is that the main thing you want? Let me tell you something, dear friend. If you get on your knees before God and you draw close to him, they'll promote you automatically. 
Because it is God that lifts up one and puts down another. It is God that will give you the strength to be able to pursue what he desires for you to pursue. You say, well, I want to have this beautiful home. I want to have this fancy car. And if that is your main objective in life, you will never understand the peace of God. You say, but I, but I think I deserve more. Just that attitude right there shows that you need a good, a great awakening. Because without the, without the humility of God, without understanding really who we are as individuals, how do we get to that place? I, I think when we study the word of God and see how big God is. So let me describe Isaiah's vision of God to you. We get our, our, our description and our, really our view of him from the word of God. And I divide it into three areas. And so I just want you to, if you write in your Bible, it's okay to write in, in there. And I divide these particular areas. But they stuck out to me. Um, verses 12 through 17. It's, it, what, what comes to my mind is the immeasurable greatness of God. As we look at verses 12 through 17, we see that, that his greatness is infinite. It is not measurable. Because the Bible says, first of all, who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out the heavens with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Wow, what a powerful statement. Because the question is being asked, who is this God? And and who gives him the right to measure? And can anyone measure the the amount of of, uh, water there is in the world? And can anybody measure the weight of the mountains? Can anybody understand the span of, of all the spheres that are out there? Can anyone do that? I think Albert Barnes says this, the object of this and the following verses, all the way down to verse number 26, show the greatness and the power and the majesty of God by strong contrast with his creatures, and the more especially with idols. And perhaps the prophet designed to meet the answer and implied the objection, that the work of deliverance was so great that it could not be accomplished. At least that's what they were thinking. And maybe you thinking right now, my dilemma is worse than somebody else's. And maybe you're thinking in your mind that my problem is so big that it can't be fixed. Well, Isaiah differs with you. Albert Barnes brings it out. In fact, he says here rather rather clearly, the answer was that God made all things. That he was infinitely great. That he had entire control over all nations and that he could therefore remove all the obstacles out of the way and accomplish his great and gracious purpose even in your life. By man it could not be done, nor had idol gods any power to do it, but the creator and the upholder of all things could effect this purpose with an infinite case. And remember that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And they that dwell therein. Dear friend, I don't know what you're thinking. I don't even know if you're here. Sometimes you're here, but you're not here. You know what I mean? Don't act like you don't know what I mean. 
especially you husbands. I told you that, your wife says. When you weren't paying attention, you were here, but you weren't here. But the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world and they that dwell therein. Think of that for a moment. And then think about this. Your own home as you walk into your house. What is the square footage of your home? What are the size and shape of the trusses? Is there steel in the concrete walls of your home? The only person that really knows this is the person that built it. Who knows for sure how many pine trees are left in America? And who knows how many animals are still existing in Australia? I'll tell you one who knows. He knows all things because he keeps a pretty good book on the measure of things. And he knows. Who is going to tell God what to do? I feel sorry for those in office today that think that they know better than God. They're going to have a big awakening soon. And I think even those that know God are going to have a big awakening pretty soon. I'm not talking about doomsday. I'm talking about the reality of knowing how big God is. Do you have a proper vision of who he is, my friend? Has he put you on your back? Has he put a ventilator on you? Has he, has he brought you to the place of almost death and then brought you back? Those are the kind of people that God seems to use. I was talking to a man this week, said, can we please meet? I picked him up and took him for a cup of coffee. At the end of her conversation, he began to weep uncontrollably because of his circumstances. And this morning, he's somewhere, someplace, pretty cold because he's homeless. But you know what I told him? I told him that God keeps track of every tear that falls. And God knows exactly what you're going through. And he's big enough to take your dilemma and turn it into a delight. And I really believe until a person has come to rock bottom, they really don't know who God is. Would you say, Lord, would you help me to see you clearly? Then beware, my friend. Because it might just be that he has to humble you a little bit before he can do that. Who knows? God knows. And I will tell you, he knows, and heaven knows exactly what's going on because he is the creator and the sustainer of all things. The immeasurable greatness of our God. First Chronicles 16.25 says, For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. And he also is to be feared above all gods. Psalm 48, verse number 1, we used to sing it, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. 
In Psalm 145, verse number three, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Evidence that it's immeasurable. Are you looking to this God? What are you needing? Go to the greatness of God. It'll comfort you. What is my vision like? Verse number 13, who hath directed, look what it says, who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor hath taught him, verse 14 goes along with it, and when whom took he counsel and who instructed him, and hath taught him in the paths of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed to him the way of understanding, who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, of course, moved upon the face of the waters. Who directed the power and the Spirit of the Lord? The Spirit of the Lord, of course, is the teacher who teaches. He is the guide who guides. Barnes says this again about this particular verse. This passage is quoted by Paul in 11 in Romans chapter 11, verse number 34, let me read those to you. It says, Oh, the depth and the riches both of his wisdom and knowledge of God, and how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who, who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed unto him again. For of him and through him and to him are all things, and to him be glory forever. Amen. Paul had an understanding of really how big God is. The word directed here is the same which is used in the previous word meted. It's the same word directed. He's fit. The idea here is who is fit for this. Or dispose the mind of the spirit of Yahweh. What superior being has ordered, instructed, or disposed his understanding? Who hath qualified him to exercise this wisdom or for the formation and execution of his plan? The sense is God is supreme. Barnes goes on to say that no one has instructed or guided him, but his plans are his own, and all have been formed by himself alone. And as those plans are infinitely wise, and as he is not dependent on anyone for the information or execution, his people may have confidence in him and believe that he will be able to execute his purpose. Our God is infinitely great as well as infinitely wise. And so who would counsel him? Who would counsel him? Who can direct God? Sometimes you'll go through life and you'll say, well, it would have been better this way. You know what you're saying to God? You made a mistake. Because God has allowed it to happen the way it is. And if you don't like the way it happened, and there's times in my life when things happen to me, and I'm thinking, this is not a really healthy thing for Dean. God will remind me to get off the throne. And let him remain high and lifted up. You say, but I don't think it should be going that way. I don't think that that's the way it should be happening. Do you have a series of these? If we did a movie, would you make another movie about the way you think should have been? Can we write a whole series of times like that in your life? Can, I, can you be honest before? To get, really, do we think that we know better than God? He is in charge. And he is keeping your heart beating. And he has provided for you, and he knows what's best.
laying in a hospital in 1979 in the summer, I think I would have liked to enjoyed July, August, and September. 62 days in a hospital. I'm thinking, what in the world is God doing? And now I see exactly what he was doing. He was giving me a bigger picture of who he is. And who is in charge? We are not in charge. Let me just show you something here because, so why not have a proper vision of God? Because if we do, then we will understand. Look at the verses, if you would, with me. Look at verse 15. Behold the nations. That's supposed to read the United Nations. I don't know why they put that in there, the nations. Let's just read it the way it should be read. Behold the United Nations. I'm just teasing. Ours a drop of a bucket. I'm kind of teasing. The United Nations are as a drop of a bucket. <laughs> I was reading that and I was thinking about this, you know. Uh, behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket. That's pretty small. The United Nations and all the nations together are a pretty small thing compared to this God who's in complete control of everything. It seems, you know, the big wigs get together, they, you know, they're all sitting around, even our president, he's like walking like, you know. I think if they had a real vision, proper vision of God, they'd be in tears as they're sitting there taking care of the world affairs. If you don't know God and you have an exaggerated opinion of yourself, you can make a mess of things. But God hasn't placed you there. He's placed you where you're at. Do you view him? And are countered as the small dust of the balance. I've got a balance in my office. and it, I got it at a garage sale. And, but I have it on my desk because I, it's hard for me to stay balanced. You know, because you want to go this way and you want to go this way. You know, I I grew up in fundamentalism. I've seen every kind of preacher. I've seen every kind of program. I've seen it all. I've I've seen it at its height. I've seen a man yelling from the pulpit that he was hoping that when we think about fundamentalism, we think about the King James Bible and he's pushing it and pushing it. I saw all of that. That he hoped that he would actually live to see that end. And I've seen such a mess of things now that the people come together and they say that it's worship, but it is nothing but garbage. You say, why are you the judge? I'm not. But someday they're going to think and hope I, they, wish, they wish I would be the judge. Because the God of heaven is not going to tolerate this kind of worship much longer. As we look at the Lord and we worship him in spirit and in truth this morning and as we say I need a proper view of who he is let us be balanced I cleaned my office last week and I took a little rag and I wiped things down and I took my rag out and I wiped across the inside of that balance and there was the dust how insignificant is that dust. But God knows how much it weighs. He's that big. He's that powerful. 
The nations are like that dust. They are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as the very little thing. In Lebanon, it's not sufficient to burn, nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. And all the nations, or the United Nations before him, are as nothing. And they are counted to him less than nothing in vanity. There is a rock that's been hewed out of the mountain that will crush the kingdoms. And that rock is Jesus Christ. His power is infinite. He is infinitely great. His greatness is immeasurable. And then I must move on to 18 through 27, and I don't have much time, so I'll go rather quickly and wrap it up so we can get downstairs, get the meeting done. The incomparable character of God. Verses 18 through 27, we can just sum it all up in verse 18. Look what it says. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? Look at verse number 25. To whom then will you liken me? Or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? In between that, those particular verses, we kind of understand a little bit more of the thought of who God is. Look at verse number 19. It says, The workman melteth a graven image, and the goldsmith spread it, it over with the gold and cast silver over it. And so if we were to take this cup and we were to uh, take it and make it out of wood, and then we were to cover it with gold, and then we were to hang silver chains over it, we would look at it and say, wow, that is beautiful. Look at the way that that looks. The workman melts the graven image, and the goldsmith spread it over with gold and cast silver chains, and he that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation, no offering. He's so poor he can't even offer anything. But he chooses a tree that will not rot, and then he seeks unto him of cunning workmen to prepare the graven image that it shall not be moved. And it's amazing to me because I heard the statistics this last week that we could end poverty just if people would work eight hours a day. Just a thought. And I'm not just bringing that, making that up. It was a study. This man's so poor he can't do anything. So he makes a little graven image. You know what? If he would just humble himself and go to the true God, God can provide for him. God can provide for him strength to have a job. I know there's some people that can't work, but the majority of the the Americans still have a strong back. And you can still shovel snow. And you can still volunteer. We learned that when I was 11 years old. Probably earlier than that. But look what it says. Have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told for you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sits upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretched out heavens as a curtain and spreads them out as a tent to dwell in, that brings the princes to nothing, and he makes the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them. 
as they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take away, take them away as stubble. You know what he's saying here? He's saying that if you would take the the chaff of, of, of a bale of hay, if you remove the the bale, you look underneath, you can take the chaff and you set it right here on this spot, right here. That's how big God is to anybody that's going to go against him. You know what to me is so amazing? As long as I have lived, I understood God's mercy. Because I don't know. If they were going to crucify me and laid me out and I had the power he had, I don't know. As I was lifted up and stretched out and my ribs were feeling like they were going to come out of my skin and my face was bloody and I could not be recognized even by my own mom. I don't know what I would do. But the mercy of God endured. That's his greatness. And that's his incomparable character. And so he says in verse number 26 that we're to lift up our eyes to that. Right? Because if we look down here, when we're struggling, we're going to look to people and say, well, if this person gets in charge, we're going to be all right. No, as long as you recognize that God is in charge, you're going to be all right. Amen? So let's get back to this, and I'll be all done. God's character is impeccable. John Gill says this, there is nothing in the whole creation that can bear any resemblance to him or he to them. Since all nations are a drop in the bucket... As the small dust in the balance, as nothing, yea, less nothing, and vanity, or what likeness will be compared unto him, order or, or ordain and appoint for him? In what rank can we be placed? To what class of beings can be likened? What similitude can be given of him? What is there that is fit to be named with him or compared to him? So then, he says, lift up your eyes. Lift up your eyes. He cannot be compared to anything on this earth or beneath the earth. And so we must look to the heavens. Look to the heavens and his creation. We must always look up. And we must always place our affections on things above where Christ sits on the right hand of God. His character, character is incomparable. And then in closing, I want to read for you, and by the way, he says in verse number 26 to look up, but he says this in verse 27, Why sayest thou, Jacob, and speak so Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Did you know, dear friend, that God knows all of the good things you've ever done? But he also knows every deed that you have ever done. Unless it's been confessed, you must remember that you will be accountable, not for your sin, but for the work that is done in his kingdom's sake. It's interesting as we think about this because it sobers us, but I really believe that comfort was the idea of the Lord and of Isaiah as he wrote it because the first verse says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her. 
But I think if you look at the last verse, verse 27, that we were looking at here in this section, why sayest thou, O Jacob? And then thirdly, lastly, we see the inexhaustible power of God. Verses 28 through 31, wow. <laughs> Hast thou not known? goes back again to verse number 21. Hast you not known? Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, he faints not, he never quits, never stops, neither is he weary. There is no searching of his understanding. It's amazing to me that this verse tells us that our God never loses his power, never loses strength. I was doing the church a little bit of work here yesterday. I went to my house and I was shoveling and I was doing a little bit of this. And And you know what? I found out that I don't have the strength I had when I was 37. When I first took this church, man, I could do everything. I was just running around, taking the trash out, doing all this stuff. And it was like, woo, who was that? That was my pastor. Now it's like, ah. I think I'll go get a cheeseburger somewhere. I earned it. I don't have the strength. Sometimes I get weary. Sometimes I get tired. And sometimes I even sit in my chair and fall asleep. Wow! Who'd ever think? But you know what? God never falls asleep in his chair. It's like a burning fire and passion. And the angels swish by him. But he never misses anything. That's our God. He never gets weary. It goes on to say that he gives power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increases strength. Your power and your strength doesn't come from you. It comes from God. And even the youth shall, uh, shall, shall faint and, and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength, and they shall mount up with wings as eagles, and they shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. Listen, let me tell you something, friends. Is there's nothing like spending time with God. And if we go back to Jonathan Edwards in 1727 when he said, I went out and I couldn't, I couldn't believe the overwhelming presence of the Almighty God was there. And I think he went back to his pulpit with great strength and great power because he had the proper vision of who God is. And when you get down and discouraged and full of all kinds of despair, remember who God is. You don't have to be concerned about who's in the White House. Be concerned of who's on the throne. And be concerned about your relationship with him. You say, how do I have a proper vision of God? Let me just give you a few things and I'm all done. The first thing is to understand that he loves you. Because that's why you're breathing. He loves you. You're still alive. He's drawing you by his spirit to himself. He's not drawing you to a religion. He's not drawing you to the Baptist church. He's drawing you to himself. Because he wants a relationship with you. He loves you. He's almighty. He's on his throne. He never gets tired. But he's constantly drawing you to himself. Because we understand that there is no eternal life for anyone unless they come to the Father. And the Spirit will draw you there. But let me just give you this understanding. That there's no way that you'll be able to get into heaven without accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. It is an absolute essential that you humble your heart 
and say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I give it all to you, every chamber of my heart, and he'll flood your heart with joy. And you know what happens when your heart is full of joy? You got that quickness like an eagle and you soar. And by the way, the older I get, the tighter I get. But it's kind of neat because then the closer I want to be with God. Because I realize that some of that strength may be coming from my youth. But now, since that youth is dissipating, I must go to him every day and say, Lord, I don't have the strength. I'm going to depend upon you even more. And you know what? He loves me enough to say, Dean, it took you a long time to get to that place. Maybe longer than the average. But what a joy it is for me to say to you that as your pastor gets older and as the years seem to just fly by, there's nothing better for any of us than to humble our hearts and say, I can't do this without the Lord. I must be with him. Do you have a proper view of God? Gives it right here in the scriptures. But he's got an inexhaustible mount of power for you. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning as we close the service. And Maybe God has spoken to your heart. You've been slipping away somewhat in your relationship with him. You've been getting tired. You've been getting busy. You've been getting distracted and not purposely, but you've fallen away from what the Lord desired. And maybe this morning you'd say, Pastor, I'm born again and I'm, I'm here today. I'm, I want to worship the Lord, but I'm struggling with my relationship with him. I need you to pray. Friend, let me tell you something before you lift your hand. If you lift your hand, I will pray for you. But maybe there's somebody here that says, I know Jesus, but I need some strength. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling spiritually. Just lift up your hand and put it back down again. Anyone? Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. Thank you. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Howell, I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. I've gone to church. I understand that there is a God, but I've never received Jesus. I've never opened my heart to him. And maybe today you would say, you know, Pastor, I've been thinking about these things, but the 19th of January, 2020, I need to open up my heart and receive Christ as my Savior. I'm giving him my will. I understand. I have the intellect. My emotion has been moved, but now I'm saying yes to the Lord. Maybe this morning you'd say, Pastor, would you please pray for me? Because I'm that person that needs to trust him and open up my heart to him today. Is there anyone like that? Just lift up your hand and put it back down again. I need Jesus in my life. Anyone? Then this message was for you, Christian. Maybe you need to come. Start out 2020 with a proper vision of the almighty, great God that we have. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you stand to your feet, no one looking around, if you need to come. I'm going to pray, and as soon as I'm done praying, the, the, the piano will begin. Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you, Carolyn. You can be seated if you would. We need to take up an offering for Tom Farrell. Everything that comes in, big or small, is going to be given to Tom Farrell. 